0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure on your behalf to introduce today's guest speaker. Would you be surprised if a trained lawyer with a Master of Business Administration and more than 20 years of progressive leadership was appointed chair of a large chartered bank in Canada? You might be agreeably surprised if the role went to a woman. Many people were surprised when the Royal Bank of Canada announced in August 2013 that Kathleen, Katie, Taylor, would become its board chair. It was a pleasant surprise, to be sure, and a first. Which, in 2014, points to a host of issues. Chief among them, the lack of diversity in leadership. Research demonstrates that diversity is good for business. Women board directors and women in senior leadership positions are connected with better financial performance. Sadly, appointments like Ms. Taylor's are few and far between. Only 15% of board positions are held by women in this country based on data from the Canadian Board Diversity Council. Ms. Taylor has been an independent director at RBC since 2001. She served on the Audit, Risk, and Human Resources Committees and in turn chaired the Human Resources Committee. Katie is the former president and CEO of the Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, while at the Four Seasons she held progressively senior roles during her 20-year tenure. Ms. Taylor, welcome to the Canadian Club of Toronto, our podium, Canada's podium of record, Is now yours.
1: Thank you, Jennifer, for that uh, incredibly warm introduction, and ladies and gentlemen, to all of you for uh, for being with us today. As uh, Jennifer said, the Canadian Club is really very well known for. the opportunity it gives us to come together and engage around very important policy issues. Um, and as we all read in the paper, Gary Bettman was here with the Canadian Club yesterday. Gary's always had a natural talent for stirring up emotions in, uh, in, uh, in Canada. So I'm hoping that we can build on that energy on the topic that we're going to uh, get into today. It's something I consider even more important than hockey in Toronto. And that is harnessing the power of diversity to enhance Canada's economic outlook. Our future, our outlook, largely because of our size, shape and export driven economy, is directly dependent on our ability to grow companies that can extend their reach beyond our borders. This is something I'm particularly passionate about because as Jennifer mentioned, I spent the better part of my professional career traveling the globe helping to build and eventually lead Four Seasons. Last week's release of economic data showed some promising numbers. Canadian exports were up. But while this is good news, and there's no doubt about that, um, more troubling news also exists. As a percentage of national GDP, exports relative to other countries are declining. And more alarming still, real GDP growth in the world is coming, almost 80% from the emerging economies, and only about 12% of Canadian exports are directed to these economies. Pretty eye-opening facts. I think demonstrating the tremendous opportunity for Canadian prosperity through through growth beyond the borders. Of course, doing business outside Canada, if you are doing that, you know has its challenges. Whether you focus on increased regulation, uh, continued struggle for growth in Europe, the con- uh, intensifying upheaval in the Middle East, or today's troubles with Russia, the implications for continued disruption are difficult to predict. And they're an almost daily event if you're running a global business. But as leaders, our most important job actually is to steer and grow our companies through uncertain times. And it may now be that in the midst of all this upheaval, Canada's chance for great success is better than we think. First off, we have very attractive fundamentals lowest net debt to GDP ratio among the G20 and a reasonably diversified economy. We also enjoy a high degree of political stability in a vibrant and well functioning democracy. And perhaps most importantly, we have one of the world's most highly educated workforces in one of the world's most culturally diverse countries. Arguably, it's these social factors, the fabric of our country, and the quality and diversity of our people that can be our most important competitive advantage. On this point, we can just make a quick contrast to Japan, the world's third largest economy, where demographic factors, social norms, and dismal female workforce participation have resulted in economic stagnation for the better part of the past two decades. 2013, the World Economic Forum ranked Japan 105th out of 136 countries in its global workforce gender gap study. And Prime Minister Shinzo Abe recently announced policies to improve the diversity of Japan's workforce, beginning with a focus on women, and he calls this the government's highest priority. Obviously, this is an extreme example, but Canada can't be complacent. In the same survey, we ranked 21st. Yes, we were a little ahead of the United States, but still behind all those leading Nordic countries. So what can we do to help Canadians flourish and grow, both here at home and abroad? The answer, I believe, is in harnessing the power of our flourishing diversity in the broadest definition of that word. Energetically embracing diversity creates better outcomes for customers, drives shared values and higher levels of engagement for employees, and helps to unleash creative and innovative processes that keep organizations fresh, competitive, and able to win on the world stage. My experience at Four Seasons and RBC bears these results out. Both of these companies had early success here in Canada, and over the past 20 years, both of them have strategically taken their businesses and brands to dozens of new markets. Both Four Seasons and RBC figured out what they could be the best in the world at in serving their customers. They both invested heavily in values-led cultures that fostered diversity and inclusiveness in the workplace. And they relentlessly focused on innovation. Today, they're two of the most successful and globally respected organizations in their industries. And both have created significant shareholder value along the way. A few stories can help to illustrate my thinking beginning first with Four Seasons. Four Seasons was founded 50 years ago um, and grew with the simple goal of being the best. At the time, other luxury hotels were focused on fine linen, expensive artwork, and a beautiful marble. And we had those things too. But we knew that focusing intensely on the frequent business traveler through a brand of highly intuitive, just-for-me-what-I-need-right-now service would create a competitive edge that would allow us to win, despite our relatively small size and pretty much unknown brand name. To do that, we needed to leverage the diversity of our employees who were on the front lines, closest to our customers, responding to the rapid changes in global travel. When we open a new hotel, we hire the majority of employees from the destination, people who are authentically sensitive to local custom and well-connected to regional customers. But at the same time, we always had to ensure that we had the ability to deal with our highly diversified global guest. So in Geneva, for example, we needed Russian concierge. In Washington, we needed a director of Middle Eastern protocol. In fact, a young woman, Persian descent, who helped us to drive more business from that important uh, travelling region. At the same time, our restaurants and bars had to start creating a stronger sense of appeal to the next generation of travellers. So you won't be surprised to hear that our hiring policies needed to make way for managers and employees with a lot more facial hair, body piercings and visible tattoos. (laughs) All of that helped to create the cool factor uh, in our properties, but most importantly, a new way of thinking about the future. At RBC, the story of building a diverse workforce to drive better customer outcomes is different, but just as significant. For decades, RBC has been actively recruiting newcomers to, Canada, to uh, newcomers as customers, and in response, the workforce has also become more diverse. Not only is this the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. In fact, it's a business imperative. Banking, like virtually all commercial businesses, comes down to relationships and trust. And it's essential that RBC's workforce reflects the community it serves. It means not only embracing diversity in the broadest sense of the word, but also encouraging diversity um, of thought by building a culture of inclusiveness. For example, hiring recent immigrants from China has not only helped RBC connect with that community here, one million strong and growing, but those employees have also helped connect RBC directly to business opportunities internationally. Diversity of background and education also matters. In expanding RBC Capital Markets business in the United States, we set out to recruit, hire and train a lot of new people, including young mathematicians and highly specialized technology experts, all of whom have helped RBC gain important market share with new corporate clients and sophisticated financial institutions. So if a diverse workforce can help drive improved customer outcomes, then getting the right workforce is paramount to success. And this is why another common feature of companies like Four Seasons and RBC is the commitment they have made to their culture and their values. At Four Seasons, we created our culture around a simple commitment to the golden rule. We say that everyone, no matter how senior or powerful, would from that day forward treat others the way they would want to be treated if they were them. It said to our employees far and wide that you can trust us to do the right thing for you and for, the, and for the customers. Even when the right thing was unpopular, expensive, or even when it was completely unexpected in some countries where power and influence might otherwise have ruled the day. Whenever we opened a new hotel, we conducted thousands of interviews to fill a few hundred positions. All successful candidates would go through five, the last with the most senior uh, person on property. Not so he or she could decide whether or not the right qualifications had been met, but so we could make sure that we were hiring the right people who shared our core values. It's always an expensive process, those thousands of interviews, but in the end, the cost is minor compared to the effort of trying to change bad habits and negative attitudes over many years. As we were getting ready to open many, many years ago in Prague, it was just after the Velvet Revolution, um, the end of communism there, and we were actually worried a lot about our ability to find the right people in uh, in that marketplace. But after those thousands of interviews, find them we did. Uh, doctors, lawyers, teachers, a huge um, uh, group with diverse backgrounds, men and women who wanted a fresh start um, and came to join a company that promised them one. And we realized later that we'd not only increased the depth and diversity of Four Seasons' global leadership team, we'd also deepened our culture in the process. As it turned out, those new recruits became some of the most important culture carriers. In our company's history. At RBC, culture and values also guide the company's success and expansion into new markets. Whether we grow through acquisition or hiring new talent, it's always critical to make sure we're uh, hiring people who share RBC's core values of service, teamwork, responsibility, integrity, and diversity. And the best of this proposition is well told in Michael Lewis's book, Flash Boys, the story of the RBC Capital Markets employees in New York, who did what was right for their client, putting principles ahead of profit, because that's what the RBC culture stands for. A more recent story is that of Scott, who was a $6 a month customer of the Royal Bank, starting up his fledgling advertising firm. A few months um, in, he had a meeting with his account manager, who asked him, if he had one more hour in the day, what would you do with it? And Scott said, I'd hire an intern, but I don't have time, I'm too busy. The account manager took that under his wing, went out on his time, and started to interview new recruits, identified a promising young woman at Queen's University, and introduced her to Scott. Scott hired her right away, and over the course of the next, uh, next few years, she became a rock star that that little team of two now is 25 people with a much larger line of business products and services with RBC that they continue to grow. Shared values are at the heart of the bank's operating philosophy and RBC's people on the front line are given the power, the time, the resources to do the right thing for customers. And when you're running businesses of tens of thousands of employees serving millions of people in over 40 countries, Having employees who are genuinely interested in doing the right thing can be the difference between success and disaster. I'll never forget the call that came many years ago, middle of the night, um, just after Christmas, from the Four Seasons in in the Maldives to tell us that the tsunami had hit the resort. It was the height of festive; the resort was full. The wave, as you recall, sudden and devastating, it destroyed all of the guest rooms on that little atoll, um, and actually swept many of our guests and employees out to sea and into swimming pools. Now, the lengths that our employees went to to make those guests comfortable, fortunately no one was was killed or seriously hurt, those stories are now the stuff of legends. But when the resort closed for repairs after all the guests had been evacuated, what our senior leadership did was say to those employees in the Maldives, we're going to find you a job. And we went across the globe, all of our general managers, who can help, lots of visas, lots of effort, unbelievable um, that we were able to place so many people, allowing them to continue to receive a paycheck to send home to help their families rebuild too. Imagine the strength of the message that sent to people about how important our cultures and values were and how important the commitment to our customers. It requires a lot of hard work to ensure that culture and values are embedded in your businesses, go from senior to middle management right down to frontline employees, and it's even harder when you do it across diversity, time zones, and geographies. It takes a disciplined repetition of the right behaviours over many years, and it's really important work, because if you get it right, your company culture will grow in strength and ultimately pay dividends in so many ways. And now on to the third common feature of, of these Canadian companies that I'm highlighting, um, and that is that they are relentlessly innovative and constantly evolving. Innovation is on the agenda of virtually every, in virtually every boardroom in Canada today, and it encompasses a wide spectrum of activities. Sometimes it's truly inventors. Think the new space shuttle or biotech. Sometimes it's more like what I call innovation where you take an idea that either was your own or somebody else's, and you make it so much better that it's a category killer. Think Apple and Alibaba. This is where... But but what all of those successful innovators have in common is their people. Employees who drive the scientific and social change that ends up coming to us in the form of new goods and services. At Four Seasons, we actually considered ourselves an innovation company from the very beginning. Uh, Like a lot of small businesses, we had very little structure, not many policies, no procedures, no hierarchy. Uh, Back then, no head office. We are a virtually unheard of little brand in a sea of well-established luxury chains. So early on, we knew to succeed, we were going to have to uh, listen closely to our customers and not only serve their needs, but anticipate them. And when we figured that out, the ideas started to flow from our employees. We were the first hotel company to offer express laundry and pressing services. First one with complimentary overnight shoe shine. First one with fitness centers. First with international cuisine and healthy cuisine, 24 hour room service. Complimentary shampoo started at Four Seasons. Can you believe that? <laughs> now, it was that little thing that you open with your teeth back then. Uh, um, it's gotten more glamorous since. But these were all things that today are just standard fare um, in hotels, really, across all bands of spectrum. RBC, through its many businesses and diversified talent pool, innovates with equal vigour. Over the last 30 years, the financial services business, I would contend, has experienced more change than virtually any other traditional consumer business. On top of that, RBC's customers are really tech-savvy. They want to interact on their own terms, multi-channels, digital world. So RBC responded with the secure wallet, allowing them to pay uh, with their smartphones and to send money. on e-transfers on Facebook. But innovation doesn't have to be the investment of a lot of money in R&D. Often it comes from just better listening, and it makes sense if you have different people with different backgrounds, different experiences, and different expectations, you're going to come up with a whole range of fresh and innovative ideas. In fact, experts in the field of innovation will tell you that diversity is one of the most important inputs to a successful innovation, and creativity process. So all this to explain why my contention is organizations that seek out and champion diversity and inclusion will have better customer outcomes, more highly engaged and successful employees, and better track records on innovation, all the essential ingredients to winning here in Canada and on the world stage. One of the other important questions I was asked to address today is whose job is it? Whose job is it to get that done, all that heavy lifting, as we work as communities to embrace diversity? And the answer for me is simple on both counts. It is the job of leadership. The CEO, the senior executive team, the board of directors. all have an important role to play. And given the rapidly changing face of Canada, that has to include an approach to the power of embracing diversity. A quick look at a couple of demographic factors demonstrates what we need to think about. Today, there are more than 35 million of us here in this country. Women make up half the workforce, and while less than 6% of the financial post 500 has a woman at the helm, the future could and should look different. Right now, 61% of university grads and 54% of master's grads are women. On the ethnicity front, while today's Canadians mostly say their ethnic origins are European. We have 5 million visible minorities. And by 2031, almost 30% of us will be foreign-born. And the number of visible minorities among us will double to 10 million. Generationally, too, we're shifting. While 30% of Canadians are baby boomers who now dominate the workforce, they are starting to depart for cottages and warmer climes. In fact, a 1,000 Canadians retire every day replaced by that next generation who bring with them higher expectations about technology, about workplace norms, environmental challenges and a myriad of other critical social issues. With so much change afoot, it's clear that a one-size-fits-all approach to managing diversity doesn't make any sense particularly since approximately 67% of Canadians say they're already not satisfied at work. It means that new approaches, significant experimentation, and a high degree of customization is going to be required to sort this out. And in some sectors, this is beginning to happen. Let's go back to the capital markets business for a minute. Um, Today, there's absolutely no shortage of women who are ready um, and uh, capable of working in that business. In fact, they are... the the top graduates from the top MBA programs. And indeed, many of them do join the ranks of the investment banks and the brokerage firms. But many decide to opt out. And that's after employers have invested a great deal of time and money in training them. And these are some of the best and the brightest, we're told, um, in the employee pool. The possible solution? A Toronto-based industry group called Women in Capital Markets uh, teamed up with BMO Nesbitt Burns to found a program called Return to Bay Street. Since then, it's expanded to include all, uh, virtually all of the other banks, and this program includes a four-month re-entry internship, a personal mentor, a host of networking opportunities, and financial assistance for skills retraining. It's a great story, and it's a great start, but so much more needs to be done. A recent experience um, brought this home to me in spades. I was speaking to a group of women who'd been sent by their companies to a major leadership development offsite. And the question of gender diversity on boards came up. And so I asked them, how many of you want someday to serve on a corporate board? Forty hands. Great. Virtually all of them. Then I asked, how many of you have the ambition to be your company's CEO? Or the chief of your function? Or the president of your division? Four hands. Not good? Not good at all. And since then, I have spent a lot of time thinking and talking uh, with myself and others about what's that all about? What's the problem? I try to explain that, you know, wanting to be a corporate director without senior leadership and maybe even C-suite experience for some is a little like wanting to join the women's national hockey team. But you're not a great skater. It doesn't work. So by ensuring that we have the programs to take hold of this vast array that is our diverse population, our women, our visible minorities, and all of the people we would include in that next generation of Canadians. It's going to be really, really important to make sure that they're interested in those leadership opportunities and that those C-suite and and leadership jobs appeal to them. Just as important as programming, though, um, is measurement. Uh, We all know this from our business, what what is measured gets done. And we need to measure our progress against existing, uh, existing benchmarks. At RBC, we have a long-standing commitment at the board to foster diversity in the management ranks and not just diversity in terms of gender. Our board reviews annually the depth and diversity of our succession pools in key leadership roles, both in absolute terms and against established targets. And we monitor the progress of succession candidates in achieving their development plans. As a board, we also developed a protocol that requires at least one woman or visible minority to be on every succession list when we're staffing a new executive or senior management appointment. And this is not just a pro forma arrangement. Our managers are actually measured on their ability to get this done. Why? Because at RBC, we think this will drive a better customer experience, a better workplace experience, and more innovation. It often turns out for us as leaders, though, in these organizations that the hard stuff around diversity actually ends up being the soft stuff. It's paying attention to those little cues in the workplace, those perceptions, understanding our experiential biases, listening more effectively if we're normally the person dominating the conversation, finding a way to allow everyone to get their message into the group all with the objective of building a better culture of inclusiveness. There's no question this is really hard. It takes a really long time. At RBC, we've been at this for 12 years, establishing our diversity for growth and innovation core value in 2002. And the Diversity Council, which steers this effort across the globe, is led by the CEO and many of RBC's highest potential leaders. And while progress has been solid, incremental gains at the margin are more difficult to obtain. So new and novel approaches are going to be required by all, because the alternative of not harnessing the power of the best and the brightest among our future leaders is simply not viable. In Sunday's New York Times, Thomas Friedman championed the value of pluralism in American society. He called it his country's greatest asset. For him, pluralism is not diversity alone. It's the energetic engagement with diversity. It's what we at RBC and some other companies as well call inclusion. You see, for a country like Canada and companies like RBC and Four Seasons, diversity is a fact. It's a state of being. Inclusion, on the other hand, requires action. It is an achievement when you fully, energetically engage with a diverse population in order to reap the kinds of benefits I've talked about today. And that, I've I've said, is a difficult, complex job, the responsibility of all of Canada's business leaders, and it's up to each of us in this room and those we uh, we work with in the workplace to make sure that this job gets done and gets done well. The future of Canada depends on it. So thanks for listening, and I think we're going to now uh, hear your thoughts, questions, and suggestions on this important topic. Jennifer.
0: Yes, Ms. Taylor has agreed to answer a few uh, questions. So we have roving mics out there. And if I learned anything yesterday from Commissioner Bettman, it was that the first question is always a great, great question. So whoever's asking this first question, it's going to be great. We know it. Who's the first brave soul? Be
1: first, be the best.
0: Okay, well, while the great first questions being thought of let me just um mention oh look at all the hands up in the back now but maybe i can just ask ms taylor i'm glad you mentioned measurement because i think that's so important um and i think each company or organization creates their own measurement but is there a need for some standardization in that and is that even possible
1: I think that there is um, a need for an element of standardization, and what, what I would uh, say there is that I think the standard practice has to be for everybody to begin to talk about their company's approach to this important, this important journey. Uh, obviously, each company is in a different state, small, medium, large, global enterprises has access to different resources, some public, some private. But I think that at the very least, it should become standard practice that in the boardrooms of Canada's business, um, we are talking about the power of harnessing this. Obviously, the further along you are in your continuum of success on diversity and inclusion, the more aggressive you can be about setting stretch goals. And saying to ourselves, well, what if in a couple of years we could work towards this? And talking about that, not only with senior leadership, but with employees. And setting expectations for the organization's progress along that journey.
0: I wonder if you would comment on um, how you use evaluation at the employee level. And I mean evaluation of the diversity program and how that feeds into the decision-making up and down the line. It, you've concentrated quite rightly on the the benefits to the entity and to the country, but uh, if you could reflect on uh, what you're hearing about the benefits and comments um, from employees
1: who are engaged in the system. Sure. Well, the, uh, the, the programs that, and I'll speak... Uh, primarily hear about RBC around diversity and inclusion have a lot of different facets to them. Uh, There are affinity groups inside the bank that would support women, uh, that would support different uh, cultural and and other minority groups um, to make sure that they have the tools that they think they need to get their job done, but also to be a fully Uh, functioning, and uh, succeeding employee at the bank. It's not enough just to bring people into the organization. It's very important that they're engaged, deeply engaged, around what it's going to take to make sure that over the long run uh, they succeed. And so there's a host of different programs that allow those small and large groups to come together. Sometimes they're business-wide, sometimes they're... Enterprise-wide. Sometimes they're office located, where where employees gather together and talk about what could be we be doing better to service the various uh, groups inside the organization. And the feedback is extremely positive. The, uh, there's no question that when p- employees feel connected to the values of an organization and as importantly they think somehow that the organization's future is dependent on their great efforts, um, that engagement goes up. And we've seen some very, very good engagement gains at RBC over the course of the last little while. Um, I think largely as a result of many of these programs that have gone out and made sure that employees were getting what they needed, not only to get their job done, but to make sure that they could have a successful career at the bank as well.
0: Oh, uh, Kathleen, Hamel, Bassey. I think our paths crossed on Nathan uh, Square, but I was too frightened to talk to you. Um, so, so um, With this agenda of inclusion, you know, action, you know, I, I think that's just brilliant. But where do you see with, with corporations taking on this, this agenda of inclusion? 20 years from now, what do you see?
1: Well, 20 years from now, if we get it right and those statistics are right, um, we probably won't be talking about it as much anymore except with respect to the uh, successful onboarding of our new immigrants. We should by then, if we do the right things, be a country that is so completely and utterly knitted together Across all of these different, uh, these different diversities and different measurements of diversities, that we're simply championing our great social success story and helping and encouraging other people from other countries who want to be part of it to come and join us. Um, that's what I would hope. Good, Jillian
0: Smith, to uh, thank you. All right.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gillian Smith. I'm a director of the Canadian Club. I also run an organization that helps new Canadian citizens integrate that is very generously supported by the RBC Foundation, and I'm a proud former employee of RBC. Ms. Taylor, on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I'd like to thank you very much for setting such a wonderful leadership example for us all. We particularly appreciate your candor on the topic of diversity, and gender diversity in particular. It's an issue that gets a lot of lip service, but truly not enough action. And it takes a special kind of leader to put the issue on the table, defend the research, and pave the way. And Ms. Taylor, you are that leader. We are hopeful that more decision makers will embrace the diversity challenge and take action. And if they do, we will build a stronger, more innovative economy and a more inclusive Canada. Please accept our best wishes for success in your role as Chair of the Board of the Royal Bank of Canada. Thank you. you.
0: I'd like uh, to echo Jillian's message and thank Ms. Taylor for her insightful message today. Thank you both for joining us today. Our sincere thanks once again goes to uh, today's event sponsors, EY and Cisco, for making this event possible. Thank you, Trent and Paul. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey card on each of your tables. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve your experience, so please take a minute to help us by sharing your thoughts and comments, especially on our new shortened luncheon format. We very much appreciate your feedback. This concludes our program today. Please visit the Canadian Club website tomorrow to download a webcast and podcast of today's event. To learn more about the club and our upcoming events, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Thanks for joining us today. Our meeting is now adjourned.